Hello and welcome to the Dartmouth College Rockefeller Center's podcast, Rocky Talk. My name is Talia Fine and I'm a 25. Today, I'm delighted and honored to be joined by Matt McDonald, Dartmouth class of 2000. At Dartmouth, Matt studied economics, later earning his MBA at MIT. He is the current president of Penta, a consulting firm formerly known as Hamilton Play Strategies. Matt McDonald has experience in the public and private sectors, including senior roles on three presidential campaigns and experiences at McKinsey & Company in both their New York and Washington offices. Some highlighted experiences include his work in the Bush White House, as well as advisory roles to Governor Schwarzenegger, Senator McCain, and Governor Romney, to name a few. At As Hamilton Place Strategies rebrands as Penta, Matt is the founding president of the new firm. He visits Dartmouth today to deliver a lecture entitled Public, Private, Politics, and the Press, a conversation on stakeholder engagement and landing your dream job in D.C. Matt, it's an honor to be joined by you today. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, thank you for joining us. To begin, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to move from the public to the private sector? Uh, yeah, so I, um, when I graduated from Dartmouth, I went to work as a speechwriter for uh, then governor of Massachusetts, uh, which was Paul Salici at the time. And, uh, and I will confess it was not like super deliberate. I was kind of like, oh, that's a fascinating job. That, would, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> So that's, um, so I didn't, I didn't do a ton of like on-campus political stuff. Like I didn't, that wasn't really, um, like, I don't know, an intentional path that I had. Yeah. Um, so even when I went into politics, I, there was always a little bit of, um, I don't know. I also had interests in the private sector and like I was an econ major. So, um, so that stuff was all interesting to me. And then, um. And even when I was in when I was in government, I would say that I had a little bit of a view that uh, government in general would be well served by a better understanding of the private sector. Yeah, and I kind of felt like I should take my own medicine a yeah. little bit. So that's how I ended up back in business school. Awesome, makes a ton of sense. Thanks for explaining all of that. And great to hear from a fellow econ major. Uh, <laughs> we're you know so unique here. Um, <laughs> Um, as director of Rapid Response under the Bush-Cheney administration, I'm sure you had your work cut out for you. And since you deal kind of in crisis communications today, how did you translate those skills from the public to private sector? And did anything at Dartmouth prepare you for that role? Uh, well, okay. So I would say that uh, when I think about crisis stuff, in general, um, you know, it, Crisis tends to be a lot about information flow. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times within a crisis, um, even within an organization, people may not have a command of the facts of what's yeah. really happening, right? So, like, uh, take the Southwest holiday travel that happened recently, right? So they grounded flights, and there were all these viral videos of bags all over the place. And, um, you know, on some level, like, they had – that was funk foundationally a technical breakdown in kind of their scheduling system right. you know but i'm sure having been in the room for stuff like that is that they're all sitting around trying to figure out like right. wait how are we going to fix this where are people that they need to be all that sort of stuff so um when i think about you know there's a couple of different types of crisis that people yeah. think about one is there's an event that yeah. happens that's going to be a big problem and you got to plan around 
And then two are these kind of like rolling situations where it's like an ongoing subjective intense scrutiny and just being able to, a lot of this is information flow and figuring out how to be on top of all the different um, moving pieces. So that's what I think about. Yeah, totally. Makes a ton of sense. And then I'd love to go more into your role as an advisor to John McCain in 2008. How did you navigate such a polarizing political environment coming off of the financial crisis and also the loss of the presidential election? And what did that teach you about when things maybe go differently than you had hoped or planned, anything of that nature? Yeah, so, um, I well, I mean, everything's relative. And <laughs> in retrospect, 2008 doesn't actually seem that, that bad. It's <laughs> a political polarization. Yes, um, yeah. The So on, on the McCain campaign, I, so I had actually... <clears throat> just uh graduated from business school into you know the financial crisis happened that fall so timing was not great but i actually had my full-time offer the prior fall so i actually started my new job uh like a week after the campaign ended so it was uh uh i'm probably the one person on the mccain campaign that had a job within days of the end of the campaign but um on the campaign i um, traveled around with um, Senator McCain. So I did a lot of kind of speech writing on the road, and then I did a lot of debate prep with him. So we, um, you know, the candidates, <clears throat> presidential campaigns have kind of these big moments right. that where you kind of break through to people's awareness in ways that on the regular basis, people are like picking their kids up from school right. and then like, Go out and go grocery shopping and like living their lives. But there are a few moments when people tune in. So you get kind of the, um, the you know you get an announcement, right? You get uh, conventions, you get vice presidential picks, and you get debates, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Right. So um, tweets and the debates. There were three of them, um, and it was and so uh, that was part of kind of um, what I was doing. So. Um, so it's it would you know any time you get to work on a presidential campaign it's kind of an amazing experience i think one of the um you know you're seeing history written up right. close as you're going through that stuff i would say that one of the you know one of the things that i think about in terms of both that campaign and that time in terms of uh the financial crisis and all that sort of stuff is just a little is like the value of um, kind of scenario planning and pressure testing of assumptions in times of extreme uncertainty, yeah. right? Um, it's it's always interesting now, like, looking back and knowing what the aftermath is of the financial crisis and that sort of stuff, but at the time when you're going through whatever, like, more recently, the pandemic, right? right? Uh, you don't, you know, we all just went through the pandemic and I probably would have made different choices from <laughs> what I know now about uh, what beach I would be uh, zooming in from. But um, but you kind of don't know in the moment, yeah. right? And so thinking about trying to uh, do a little bit of scenario planning and thinking through the possibilities is is super helpful for that type of stuff. I will say that like you know one of the wonderful things about that campaign was that. Um, you know, when you're when you're flying around with the candidate, you get to see the whole country. Yeah, and that is like an amazing opportunity to just kind of get uh, a view of America, kind of coast to coast. Yeah, 
And I think from the comfort of a motorcade. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds like an incredible experience. And I guess to touch more on a time of uncertainty going into 2023, kind of coming out of the bull market after many, many years and going into a bear market as Hamilton Place Strategies. Is- See, I can tell you're an econ major. Right, right. <laughs> I practiced with it. I just had Econ 26. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess as you transition to Penta, what is your outlook for the firm, for the industry in this coming year? And kind of what is your strategic plan? Uh, great question. So um, Penta, for uh, the benefit of listeners, is we are we are what we call a uh, stakeholder solutions firm. Mm-hmm. So when we think about that is that we combine technology, research, and data mm-hmm. with consulting strategy and um, kind of tactical work to help companies understand their stakeholders better and be understood by their stakeholders yeah. better. So that's kind of what we're about. Um, you know, the current environment macro is pretty wild. Yeah. We haven't had uh, a kind of, we haven't had an era where we were talking about actively about inflation in about 40 years. Yeah. So I am 45 years old. (laughs) Most people who like actively were in business or government at that time have long since left the stage. So um so this is like new for everybody yeah. within our within the collective memory of people right. who are running things. Yeah. So that's like a very interesting um exercise. And you know, there's a lot of stickiness in how people think about these things. Right. So um so it's an interesting environment. I mean for for us and the level of kind of um scrutiny that business is under and um the complications of managing a diverse multi-stakeholder environment. Yes. There is a lot of yes. <laughs> uh, need for our services. So so that is good. But I would say, uh, you know, if I um if I look at it through the lens of of running the business itself, mm-hmm. it's just it's an environment where you want to have a lot of optionality. Yes. Um so you, you know, um what I was saying before about like uh, environments of uncertainty and having kind of scenarios and that sort of thing yeah. is like you want it's a good time to be planning for I know of clients who are in the retail space who are planning for like a big Q4 right and every uh, uh, when there forecasts around recession get pushed off or pulled back they're kind of planning around those sorts of things but you just have to be very flexible and kind of be ready to take advantage of opportunities but also um have enough have enough flexibility to be able to manage aspects of a down cycle too so it's it's a very tricky environment to be managing through yeah no totally i can imagine i think it's probably a fascinating space to be in i'm sure you guys are having a ton of cool conversations around this um and then i guess just to go off of that tangent super quickly um or not tangent but like to go off of that um I'm curious that kind of employment numbers that came out of the Fed were a little less optimistic than people had hoped. So, and people, some people are thinking of a third 25 basis point rate hike. How have you guys kind of shifted your strategies and your outlooks based on that? Or, you know, has that impacted the main disconnects you're seeing between stakeholders and companies? So it's a little tricky for us because we, we, um, you know, our company is, has been, uh, 
we've been doing a lot of M&A, so we're the kind of the combination of like eight different companies over the past yeah. two years. And then we just recently kind of launched our integrated brand last mm -hmm. fall. So we don't really have a ton of luxury to kind of be able to, um, it's all accelerator all the time because right. we're integrating all these companies and doing this kind of just our, what we're doing in, in the space is, is pretty disruptive and a little different. So we're, we're kind of like full bore on that. Um, I'm definitely watching, watching the fed yeah. and the labor markets, um, and trying to think around the corner of what yeah. all that looks like. Um, I, you know, the, tr the real tricky part about like fed policy is the lag effect. Yes. Uh, for both them and for people observing and um, and then you get this weird dynamic of like there's a interplay between the Fed and the markets yeah. right and so the Fed the markets are trying to read what the Fed is going to do and then you know ideally they're aligned but the Fed has to have the markets think that they're going to raise right. rates even if they don't want to raise rates right. and you get in in yeah. dynamic environments like this where you have inflation it gets it gets complicated totally fast totally. um you know most of the i would say like most of the economists that i talked to who are doing forecasting around this is that like if the fed gets up to like five percent mm -hmm. that there will be a recession yes that that is like that's kind of the threshold mm -hmm. beyond which there is no soft landing. Yes. Um, I think the trick with all of this again is like a little bit of a timing exercise. So you get these, you get these problems of like a lag effect where the policy doesn't take right. effect for months, but then you get these data points that are nearer term. Right. And so that is like, I don't know what they put on is of that. It's like trying to, drive in reverse by looking in the <laughs> rear view mirror but it, i mean it's just it's complicated yeah. right so um so you know and the and the fit doesn't the they don't want to be like overreacting to every little piece so they're trying to kind of like look at the trend lines and so it's complicated it is it's for sure complicated yeah. but thanks for laying that all out great to hear about how you guys are thinking about this um and you kind of mentioned that you're integrating a kind of different brands here. So how does that really differentiate Penta's strategy and the stuff that you guys are doing in the space? Well, um, so the way that we think about it is, you know, I, most companies, so we have a stakeholder centrality to think about this, right? So in some version, most companies are dealing with uh, customers, employees, investors, and then political actors and regulators. Yeah. Those kind of four groups everybody's dealing with in some form. And then you kind of have, uh, you know, external actors like your competitors or the media or whoever who have opinions about right. that stuff, yeah. commentary, right? So, so, you know, thinking about those groups, the tensions between them, the tensions among them, and how that, how a company navigates that is kind of pretty foundational to some of the strategy. And then on the kind of data and intelligence side, what we do is we think about the different, sources of information that the, are that those different groups those stakeholders get yeah both from yourself and from others and and we have ways to kind of measure that flow of information understanding what people are exposed to positive and negative and then we also do a lot of survey work with 
some of these hard-to-reach audiences of, okay, how do you, um, what do they actually think about the stuff that they're seeing? So we kind of take all that and we say, okay, this is this is how you want to think about uh, reaching and talking to your stakeholders. Yeah. So that's kind of how we approach it. Totally. It makes a ton of sense. Sounds super innovative and very exciting. I'm excited to see what you guys do in this coming year and beyond. And then to switch gears a little bit, as president of Penta, I'm sure you put a ton of time and effort and thought into what employees would be the best fit and how you're going to invest in them. So what advice do you have for Dharma students like myself who are looking forward to getting internships or full-time jobs after graduation and trying to figure out how we can present ourselves in the best way to land these kinds of jobs? Yeah. So, um, I mean, a couple things like, you know, we, when we think about kind of the different attributes that we look for in applicants, you know, we're looking for evidence of leadership. Yeah. Uh, we're looking for evidence of like achievement, kind of, you know, persistence and, yeah. and quality of work. We have, we think about um, creative thinking abilities and then communications ability and quantitative ability. So those are kind of five dimensions. And there's lots of ways that anyone can think about yeah. those things, right? Um, I would say, you know, like for, for anyone who's thinking about jobs in the space or looking for jobs in kind of the, in uh, like big fat public debates, public policy, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one is that there's just a, there's kind of, in your resume, there's like a demonstrated interest of like, okay, you're engaged in, in like Rocky stuff or right. you've worked on this issue or you've interned over here, right? right? So there's kind of that side of like, okay, this person likes yes. this work and is interested in yes. that matters. Yes. Um, I would say uh, thinking about ways that you can get lots of good experience on in writing yeah. on campus and oftentimes outside the classroom yes. is super helpful. Yeah. Um, the... You know, but then a lot of this becomes a, a matching problem. Yes. Of, oh, you know, if you if you told me that you wanted to do like management consulting, and you say, how should I get a job in management consulting? I would say, well, you can. People will come to campus and and you can apply to those jobs, right. and then you need to practice a lot of case studies, right? right. So, so that's kind of a straight path. Yeah. The problem with the public policy space is that. There are a ton of jobs out there. Yeah. It can be just hard to identify where you find. Yeah. Right. So um so I think the thing to do is like to make that happen is you wanna figure out ways to kind of build a pretty big list of a lot of places that are that fit the interests that you are interested in. Yes. Like like apply to like fifty places. Yes. <laughs> list, right. Um and if you can kind of like push that number up in terms of the actual places that you can apply to, you can usually find a fit that's both like works with your interest and then there's there's kind of opportunities there. Yeah. Um, so that's how that's like. Totally makes a ton of sense. Super helpful. And, you know, for myself and and all of my peers who will be listening to this. Um, and then I guess also just. You know, if we could go more into career planning, since I know that's an area of your expertise, what's a mistake you made in your career journey and career planning process? And what would you advise people in a position like myself to be doing right now? Oh, man, a career mistake. <laughs> um, Doesn't have to be anything crazy, whatever you're willing to talk about. <laughs> uh, well, I, 
so like my career path is is perhaps more random than it looks <laughs> um so i a lot of my career in my 20s was kind of hey that sounds like an amazing opportunity yeah. i'll go do that yeah so i would say you know be open to different possibilities and different experiences yeah right um you know i think about like uh when i first moved to dc i worked for uh, my um my boss in my first job in DC uh, was Steve Schmidt, who's a uh, political commentator. Um, and we worked together for a long time. And Steve, uh, when, when I first got my job offer from Steve, he told me that I, that, uh, I had three weeks and if it didn't work out, I would have to find a different job. <laughs> and so, um, so I ended up uh, staying at the parents of a friend of mine from Dartmouth on their in their guest room and was down in DC with like no, no place to live and hadn't really moved down there um, and ended up getting and keeping the job. Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, there's going to be a lot of unexpected stuff and yeah. bumps in the road and um, you just gotta kind of roll with the punches. Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, I think that's excellent advice. I think people here maybe are used to like success and things going the way you had planned. And I think that's really helpful just to know that um, that's to be expected. Things will go wrong. Yes, things will definitely go wrong. <laughs> um, and then I guess I'd just love to end by asking if you have any advice or anecdotes to share with current Dartmouth students, any classes within the econ department or outside that I should be taking or just anything that I should be doing while I'm here. Um, gosh, there is, it is, uh, I mean, it is, a curse of opportunities. Yes. <laughs> on this campus. Yes. So there is so much to take advantage of and there is not enough time to do it. Okay. So I would say a couple of things is is one um, seek out uh, seek out like the must take classes from really great professors. Yeah. Regardless of your major, regardless of any of that stuff is that you will you know, you will not regret time spent in with uh, excellent in excellent classes with excellent professors. Um, now, I was here in the '90s, so <laughs> I don't think that most of my uh, recommendations would be <laughs> relevant anymore. Um, but as a general rule, I would I would think about that. Yeah, even even at the expense of like you can't do a double major right. or you can't do whatever is that I would do a little more of like the, Oh, this is interesting. Right. This, those are the types of classes that will stick with you in ways that are more durable than it's not uncommon for like, you're not going to be telling most people about what your major was right. five years out of college. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> you, there's a, there's a little bit at the front end of, of your career where there's like signaling and credentialing. Right. But then you start a job, and then it's about what you do. Yeah. And what you do is more related to, like, what you learn. Yeah. And you tend to learn a lot from really compelling professors yeah. and compelling classes. That's the stuff that sticks with you. Yeah. Um, you know, and then aside from that, I would say uh, take advantage of opportunities outside the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's so many things to do, and I would figure out ways to do – to. Um, take risks yes you know like you you were we were talking about failure a second ago like uh it's 
it is a thing that a lot of students who end up at Dartmouth are achievement oriented. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe haven't taken a ton of risks. Yes. Across their lives. Yes. Today. And even when you're here, it, it can, you can get into this exercise of like, oh, you know, then I want to get this job at this fancy place. And then I want to go to this place for grad school. And you kind of like, um, you know, it's the, the, the trail of, of like brass rings can yeah. lead off forever. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I would say that like, there's definitely a lot of value in just kind of, uh, taking it in, doing things outside of, um, of the classroom or your activities, taking risks, going and doing stuff that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Yeah. Those kind of, those experiences are super valuable and you, you won't regret them. Yeah, for sure. That's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, that was really fascinating and I'd love to keep talking, but I think we're out of time. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. It was an honor to have you joining me. Thank you for having me. podcast is a production of the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center for Public Policy and the Social Sciences. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not of the Rockefeller Center. This episode was produced and edited by Laura Hemlock. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. If you want more information, you can find us at rockefeller.dartmouth.edu.